Welcome to Library Land Conversations. These are our chance to hear from members of the library community, uh, learn a bit what's going on in library land. I'm Adam Zand, I'm president of the Library Land Project. And um, we obviously love exploring libraries. We haven't been able to do as much as in the past, um, but we wanna share uh, some interesting conversations with people like you. Radio Adam, I'm Greg PC, the executive director of the Library Land Project. Um, I first met today's guest, Nikki Enriquez, way back in 19, no, 2016, <laughs> <laughs> that would be something, in, in 2016, long before uh, the Library Land Project was even a thing. Uh, at the time, I was working at, at Ink House, a PR agency outside Boston, and Nikki was a client at the Massachusetts College of Art and Design, aka MassArt, where she's the Associate Director of Digital Media. Unbeknownst to me at the time, Nikki was, and still is, a substitute librarian at the Watertown Public Library. Today, we're going to talk about her 10 years at Watertown, what attracted her to librarianship, and whether her two professional paths have intersected, and what she has seen, learned, and loved about public libraries. That's great. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Nikki. We're looking forward to this conversation for a while. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Watertown Public Library. I had a wonderful visit. I think it was the second time that, that I'd been back. And uh, reference librarian Amy Lambert showed me around. And that was February 2020, before the world sort of changed, a little bit before. Uh, tell us how you found yourself there and what kind of things you do, and I guess how that's changed over the years. Sure. Yeah. Amy's great, isn't she? She's just like full of energy and totally awesome. And actually all the librarians and the, the staff at Watertown are just wonderful. Really lucky to work there. Um, so I started working at Watertown 10 years ago um, when I was a student at Simmons getting, getting my MLS and um, they uh, hire substitute librarians. Um, a lot of them are students at library school. Some are retirees. Some are people just getting back into librarianship after a little break. Um, and I was really excited that they had an opening and could take me. Um, and so I started out in reference and they learned that I was interested in children's and teens as well. And they, they're extremely supportive of, uh, you know, new librarians. So they were like, sure, you can start in children's and teens. So I sub in all of those departments and, um, I do typical librarianship kind of things like reader's advisory, signing people up for classes, some deselection. Um, I do, let's see, you know, filling the displays, sometimes speaking displays, just all of those kind of librarianship things. Um, and it's just, it's been really good. That's why I've been there for 10 years, it's really flexible for me to keep one foot in the library world and another foot in my full-time pro profession in higher ed. I am so jealous. I, um, I worked briefly at the uh, Dovertown Library as a substitute, and I was having so much fun. Um, and, then, and then COVID happened. Uh, how, how did the work that you were doing at the library change over the course of 2020? I mean, did you move programs online? You know, how did the library react and how did that impact your work? 
Yeah. So I actually, I didn't go back. Um, they, I remember I was supposed to work the Saturday. I think it was, um, St. Patrick's day that Sunday, March 17th. And I was supposed to work the 16th and my supervisor, the head of reference was like, don't on Friday night. She was like, don't come in. We're closing the library. And, um, so they closed for a while. And I think in the summer they reopened for limited browsing. Um, and I, it's one of the only libraries I think that's open for limited browsing and not just curbside pickup. So it's really nice that we can still have people in the building. Um, there's contact tracing available. They've put in um, airflow machines in the rooms. Um, so I did go back in March of this year and they've put up, you know, plexiglass stations around the reference desks and circulation. Um, sanitization is just like part of the routine now to keep everything um, clean and safe. There's a, a time that they keep checked in books so that um, they sit for a while. So it's not going right back out on the shelf just to make sure again, that things are as safe as possible. But they did a really, really good job transitioning. So they, they've been doing Facebook Live story times for, you know, for youth. Um, they transitioned a lot of their events online, like crafting. Um, Amy actually does something called like Cook the Books, which it's like a cooking kind of stuff. Um, they've and they've responded to the needs of the community too. So they've done classes on mental health or courses on mental health. Um, they've still done local author talks. Um, and as I mentioned, they, they were doing curbside pickup when it was completely closed too. So, um, so they did a really good job, I think, keeping things, um, keeping resources available to the community, even if their physical doors were closed, but, now things are starting to open up and we can still have people come in and get books and ask reference questions. It is a little heartbreaking, right? Because student um, students, um, patrons can't sit and use the computers. Um, I've been working in the children's department most recently and kids like we usually have big plush toys and this little house and all these blocks and kids are sad that they can't play with that um, and they can't sit really and just like look through books for long periods of time but I think they've done an amazing job keeping people as safe as possible. Um, you mentioned virtual programming and some of the other things that you've done to, to respond to COVID from a programming perspective also from a health perspective. Um, do you think there's going to, some of those things will remain even after we get back to normal? I, we've heard a lot of places saying virtual programming really appeals to people. I can't, you know, I can't say for Watertown specifically because I'm just a temp, but I will say for mass art, we reach a lot of a lot more people for things like visiting artists and lecture talks because you might not be able to come physically to mass art to see this amazing photography alum that's had her work, you know, in national museums and national press, but you may be able to log on during your lunch hour and watch her speak. And so I think that it's actually 
something that's good that's come out of COVID is allowed for a lot more connectivity with our community. So like, you know, for, for specifically artists and lecture, visiting artists and lecture talks um, at Mass Art, we can see like an alumni community, prospective students, current students, staff, faculty tuning into these kinds of programs and events. And maybe they wouldn't have been able to fit that in their schedule, but they can click on that Zoom link and still be working on something that they need for a deadline and be listening. And then afterwards, maybe connecting with um, people that were on the call too. So I think that's one thing that's been good that's come out of COVID. And I think for Watertown, they're just really wonderful and flexible about meeting the needs of the community. So if they see that the community is really responding to things online, maybe they'll be hybrid or maybe they'll be only remote um, options or maybe they'll be only in-person options, but I can't say for sure because I'm not in charge of programming. Have you done, uh, have you done programming though? in your role? Not at Watertown because I'm not there. When I first started out, I was really thinking I was going to be a full-time librarian in a public library. And um, so I'm not there regularly enough. So I was there probably like two or three times a week when I was in library school. Um, but then I took a web development class as part of my um, requirement for library school and I loved it. And so I transitioned more into the information science part of the degree rather than the public libraries. But I love working there and maybe one day I'll work full time for a public library. So, uh, but I have seen, you know, I've seen the and heard uh, the full-time librarians talking about the programs that work and the ideas that they have. And um, so, so that's been nice to, to understand how they figure it out and what works for that community. Like for instance, um, people love those like intro classes, intro to Excel, intro to social media. Those I think are always really popular. So they're always offering those kinds of things. And it's easier now, presumably. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, <laughs> if you possible. have a computer yeah. at home and you have internet. So, but that's like one thing is for those kinds of classes, they'd bring up all the laptops from the um, circulation desk and you're already connected to the Wi-Fi in the library. So that's kind of nice too, because I think that sometimes we take for granted the internet, right? And just having a device or multiple devices when some people would go to the library just to be outside and using the Wi-Fi. You know, that actually kind of brings us a good segue to another question we had. Um, certainly there's been a ton of discussion around diversity, equity, and inclusion in public libraries. Certainly we've heard it in conversations. I've heard it in library school. Um, you know, how has that been uh, reflected in, in your time at Watertown? I mean, I think, you know, we are all sitting here assuming like, of course, everyone has a computer at home and a connectivity, but the reality is that's not true. Um, and so, you know, have you seen stuff at Watertown that reflects that? Yeah, I'm 
actually really, as I said, really impressed with just how flexible and agile Watertown is to meet the needs of the community and to respond to current events. So um, actually just briefly after the 2016 presidential election, I remember coming in for my first shift and just feeling kind of like dejected and nervous about just the state of the country, the state of the world. And I came up the steps to the reference desk and um, there were little stanchion posters everywhere. And on the screen that rotates PowerPoint and it said, hate has no home here. And I just felt really safe and really seen. And so I think that's just an example of how they respond, I think, um, quickly and to current events. But yeah, they have, so they have, you know, laptops you can check out while you're there. They have Wi-Fi spots now that you can take home if you need to access um, high-speed internet. Um, they have, over the course of the past year and probably before they developed anti-racism resources, not just for adults, but also for, for children and for teens. And they're not just talking about resources. They're, you know, they're also doing things. So um, two months ago, they had a discussion, discussion with local native leaders about indigenous culture keeping. They have events like that all the time. Um, they have a large collection of books and movies in various languages in a, the adult section as well as the youth section. Um, I think there's a big Armenian population. I was, I was just going to mention Watertown. that. Yeah. yeah, so they have that. Um, they offer um, services for people that um, have low vision. So they have these big computers with big keyboards. Um, they have also a whole department dedicated to project literacy. So actually Amy's now, Amy Lambert's now the head of that. Um, and it's dedicated to teaching, um, reading, writing, and speaking English for ESL learners, as well as job skills and um, uh, US citizenship tests. Um, in education for their kids. So that's really awesome. In the time that I've been there, I've also seen them host some like limited events with um, uh, tax lawyers during tax season. They, they just did an event about financial literacy. Um, in the winter months, they've done little baskets where they bring in hats and mittens and gloves for people that can't afford them or just need them. And there's no questions asked. They just leave it out. They leave um, cheaters, cheater reading glasses at the reference desk too for people that maybe don't have them or lost them or forgot them at home. And actually most recently um, this year, they, they started a library of things, which I'd love to see more public libraries doing. So you, you can check that. out yeah, a circular saw, an ice cream maker, a cooler, just like all these really awesome things. So I, I'm really proud to work there because I think they're very inclusive and they're innovative. They're not just static, which I think 
when you work for a library, sometimes it, it can, you can fall into that trap of like, this is working, but they're always thinking about new things and they're all, they're all like really inspired. So it yeah. makes me feel inspired too. It's awesome to hear about Amy when we were doing the tour. She took me to that literacy area with the big mural and in, in back in that room. It, it's nice that she's able to transition into working there. I think it's over 25 years or something. It, it's thir- it, Yeah, it's over 30 years. It's, awesome. um, it's 34 years old, I think. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, all, all of us are communications people. We'll, we'll learn a little bit more about your job at MassArt in, in, a, in a sec. But um, from what we've seen in library land, libraries aren't always great about telling their stories. And it's something Greg and I are actively working on and, and uh, thinking about with uh, potential libraries. Have you had an opportunity to put some of your digital skills to, to work at Watertown Library and or maybe thinking about you know, what you'd like to do? Um, sadly, no. Um, aside from posting about Watertown on my own social accounts, which I have done before, but that's mostly like hashtag Saturday librarian, changing the toner and the printer. So, um, I think that for really large municipal libraries and cities, that's a big priority, but for some, and not to say that Watertown is small, it's, it's big, but, um, for like more suburban libraries, I would say that maybe that role usually falls to a director or an assistant director. Um, I know that like, for instance, Boston Public Library has a staff of two in their marketing department, which if you ask them marketers, they'd be like, that's not a lot at all. So um, thankfully the Watertown has a graphic designer on staff and he is really great at telling the story of Watertown through the newsletter, um, through their social media and um, on their website. So. I think they're doing a good job. What I've noticed is that there's a lot of repeat customers. So if I work, you know, two to three Saturdays in a row, I see the same people coming in and I don't think they're just coming in once a week, they're coming in a few times. And so there's lots of great signage that changes all the time. Um, They even have signage like in the bathroom stalls. So like there, there was one, recently that was about um, a housing clinic. So I think they just do a really good job of selling or not selling, but sharing the resources that they have and telling the story. And it's, it's a beloved library. Like if you look up the Google reviews, it has 92 reviews at 4.5 stars. So not to say that, um, you know, we shouldn't sing their praises or they are doing, or that, you know, it's enough. Like we all need to be talking about libraries more, but that's what you guys are here for, right? (laughs) We try. (laughs) One other thing I I noticed on my tour was um, just beautiful artwork. And so much of it is from Watertown based artists. It, It just seems like that's a active, whether it's through the schools or through famous artists who live nearby. Do you have any, any favorite pieces or, uh, you know, any experience with the art collection? Um, <laughs> it's funny. A master is not a, co- a collecting um, college where we have a master at art museum. It's not a collecting museum. So no, but well, I, I was does... talking about uh, Watertown, the, yeah, the Watertown no, art collection. 
I know, but my experience, I don't have it in my full-time job either, but at Watertown, um, no, but I do think it's awesome that they offer the ability to have for local artists to have their work on exhibition. So um, I have seen that. I'd say my favorite though, is they painted this really beautiful mural in the children's department. Um, and bef- bef- I think, I want to say that's only a few years old, but now that I've been there for 10 years, it feels like it's new, but maybe it's not that new, but I feel like it's at least five years young. So um, it's just this really beautiful piece. Um, and right now they have little activity bags that you can take little craft activity bags where it's usually a book display. And I just see the kids come in and they're just staring, they stare at it and they kind of like look for characters that they like or that they identify with. So I like to ask the kids like, Ooh, like who's your favorite here? Like, what's like, what do you think they're doing? And, um, that's the most vibrant piece for me, but you know, they have a beautiful local history room, Watertown and the old part of the library is really gorgeous too. Um, so just architecturally speaking, that's another gorgeous part. Yeah. All the Longfellow collection too in there in that history room's great. So uh, shifting gears a little bit, uh, you know, Mass Art, it, it is an amazing place and I, I enjoyed working there, uh, working with you there. And can you talk a little bit about the college, uh, its mission and, and your role? Yeah, thanks. And it was great working with you too. Um, so MassArt is the first public independent college of art and design, <clears throat> excuse me, in the country and the first to grant an art degree. So it started in 1873. We've been there for a little while. And I think it's a testament to the Commonwealth's commitment to to, um, provide an excellent art education at an affordable price. Um, So it's a state college. Not a lot of people know that. So it's pretty awesome. And I work as the associate director of digital media as part of the marketing and communications department at MassArt. So I like to say that I tell the story, I help to tell the story. The marketing and communications department tells the story of the college. So um, is there a, a, a wonderful library at MassArt too? Do you use the library? There is the the Godin Library. It's on the 13th and 14th floor of, I'm sorry, the 12th and 13th floor of um, Tower Building. It's actually older than the college, um, which is kind of surprising. I think it was a travel collection. And then when the college started, they housed the collection there. I believe that's the story. Um, But so it's, it's also very old. There's over nine ninety thousand volumes in the collection um and it's beautiful upstairs so you get these gorgeous views of boston because it's high up and um it's really interesting too so they have like 400 different artist books so really beautiful artist books they have a serial um uh, section where they have these big comfy chairs for students, you know, and you can look at these niche 
um, journals like Ceramics Monthly, which you probably wouldn't subscribe to as an individual. And they have an anatomy lab, which is really awesome. So you can take a skull or like an animal skeleton and sit and draw, practice your illustration, practice your drawing. Um, they have an archive. They have an art, they have an archivist. She's awesome. Her name is Danielle. She um, helped to digitize the collection. So you can actually access um, yearbooks and um, student handbooks that date way back to the 19th century. So it's a great library. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Um, we also love hearing about library memories. Do you have like an early memory? Like, like what got you in? Like, was there a library experience when you were a kid who just made you say, yes, I want to do this? You know, um, I grew up in Central Mass and my mom would take me to Worcester Public Library every, every week, sometimes more. And there was a wonderful children's librarian when I was growing up. I don't remember his name. I just remember that he just was so awesome. And it was really nice to have my own space as a kid. You know, when I was um, growing up, teens didn't have their own spaces. And I feel like teen librarianship has been a huge thing, but I feel like it wasn't that big when I was younger. And I'm really happy to see these individual spaces for, for different groups. Um, teens, children's, adults um, in libraries. So, but yeah, I actually was a, a bio major and a Spanish major. I wasn't thinking about libraries at all. And um, I did kind of a career shift and went into libraries and I'm really happy that I did. It led me to both of these jobs that I really love. That's awesome. That's great. Um, so besides for Watertown, do you have a favorite library you'd like to mention, either locally or somewhere from your travels? It's so hard to choose just one. I'm like, I actually, I love visiting libraries when I travel. I imagine you guys are the same, Absolutely. right? Yeah. So um, I've seen libraries in Aruba, in Norway, in, you know, Philly and I love the Harold B. Washington Library in Chicago. It's just like amazing. Um, but actually a few years ago, my fiance and I, my fiance and I, we went up to Montreal for his birthday. And thankfully his friends are super nerdy too. Cause I was like, I want to see the library. And they were like, okay. So we went to um, the bank grand bibliotheque and it's, it's gorgeous. It's glass. It's like this expansive, bright, beautiful library. I really liked it. But then we went to the Bank View Montreal, and I think that's their archive. And it's if you if you haven't been there, I would highly suggest it. Montreal is not that far. It's gorgeous. The architecture is just beautiful. And what I love about all of these places is they're not like, I thought it was going to be difficult to get into this library because it's just an archive, but they were like, come on in, like, fine. It's, oh, you just want to see the library? That's great. And I was like, yay. So, um, so yeah, I think for anyone, if you have a chance, it's great to see a local library too, to see what 
the community, like what the community, what the community is like and what's important to the community. So Amen. to get just a local feel, right? Yeah, absolutely. That is so true. Um, we're kind of getting to the end of our time, but I want to thank you so much, Nikki, for joining us today. Yeah, yeah. thank you guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you for amplifying and supporting libraries. And thank you for your amazing eyewear. <laughs> thank you. Nikki, thank you for stopping uh, stopping by for this episode uh, of Library Land Conversations. We have more in store and we'll be back soon. If you have comments or questions or suggestions for guests, please feel free to drop us a line at info at librarylandproject.org. Until next time, we'll see you at the library. Thank you. Library Land.